Okay, the Bible reading for tonight is John chapter 20, verses 11 to 18. John chapter 20, verse 11 to 18. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I've seen the Lord, and she told them the things that he'd said to her. Thank you, Nick. Friends, do you have that Bible passage open in front of you? Uh, if you do, sorry we have the Bible pews, but if you've brought your own, wonderful. Uh, tonight we do conclude our series, In Jesus Through the Eyes of Women, and so we've been working through it together faithfully, unpacking the scriptures, and for some of us in our home groups, uh, the sermon tonight, though, is going to be a little bit different. We're still looking at God's word. The focus of tonight is we're going to look at the gospel um, narratives of Jesus' death, his burial, and then his resurrection. But I'm not going to be doing all the preaching. Uh, We're going to be looking primarily at uh, that story of Jesus through the lens of Mary Magdalene. Because in all the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, at those three scenes his death, his burial and resurrection, Mary Magdalene is explicitly named and she's physically there every single time. And so much of what we read in these gospel accounts would have come directly from Mary Magdalene amongst some others. And so what I thought would be helpful for us to do tonight uh, is to look through it primarily through Mary's eyes. And so through looking at the gospels and through the historical accounts uh, and also through Rebecca's book, I've written together what would be some journal articles from Mary, as if she got to the end of that day and then wrote down some of her, what she saw, what she may have felt, and some of the emotions that she might have had. And instead of me reading that journal article, I've asked Hannah to read the journal as if she were, as if she was Mary. And after those three scenes, I'm going to get up and give some partial commentary and application uh, from what we've heard. My hope is that, and my prayer is that as we look at Jesus on the cross, buried and risen again, we will just be in adoration and worship of who he is. Because if we want to be people who know who he is, if we want to be people who persevere as disciples, we need to constantly look at Jesus on the cross and risen again. Because in that moment, we begin to fade away and our focus comes on Jesus. We find our meaning, our hope, our forgiveness in him. And then we're propelled to be his witness in the world. That's my prayer, that's my hope, that's what I'm going to pray now, and then we'll get into it. Our good and our gracious God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is true, that it is good, and that it is beautiful. And we thank you that it is yours. 
And Father, we pray tonight as we look at it slightly differently that it will still be just full of you. You will direct us by your spirit. You'll be working in and through us, whether we're here or across the screen. May the words that Hannah says and my words be yours. We pray that this moment in part transforms us into the likeness of Jesus and helps us to fall at your feet in worship and propels us from here. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. My hands are still shaking. I'll never forget today. It's seared into my memory. I'd heard rumours that a crucifixion is the worst death imaginable, and you feel tainted from just watching it. But even then, I don't think that begins to describe it. A death for the worst of criminals and enemies. But it was Jesus. Jesus hung there. Last night, Judas betrayed him, and Jesus was taken alone before the Jewish leaders. I wasn't allowed in, but Peter was there, and he told me through tears. I'm not sure why he was crying, something about a rooster, but he said they wanted to crucify him, and they were shouting, trying to find reason to do so. The Jewish leaders have been trying to kill Jesus the whole time I've known him, ever since he transformed me and released me from those demons all those years ago, and now was their chance. The crowd was angry, and the leaders kept stirring them up. They screamed, crucify him, crucify him, release Barabbas to us. What kind of exchange is that? Don't they know who Jesus is? He's a healer, a miracle worker, a bringer of peace. He's a saviour, he's the Lord. What kind of exchange is this? The worst of sinners for a man who knew no sin. This exchange is not right, it's not fair, it's wrong. Pilate had Jesus flogged. I couldn't watch it. He was then marched up the hill to be crucified. Only a week ago, I was with him on that hill, looking on Jerusalem with a deep compassion. Longingly, he looked upon the people in the city, longing to gather them like a hen gathers her chicks. But he knew they weren't willing. But they were more than not willing. They meant to kill him. I watched him walk up the hill, staggering and falling. But he couldn't make it always falling after the flogging he had endured. So they pointed out Simon, that man from Cyrene. He carried Jesus' cross. The wood was bloodied. It smeared Simon's clothes a little. I never saw Simon again, but I can only imagine what that was like to carry the cross of the Lord. The other women of Galilee and Mary, Jesus' mum, were with me. We'd walked many cities with Jesus. He'd teach and show us the kingdom of God, but now there is the cross. There was no cross on my back, yet as I walked, I felt so heavy. I clung to Mary and helped her climb. I'll never know her pain of watching a son be crucified. Tears flowed down her face. At times we needed to stop. But somehow, she seemed to know that this would happen. Up on the hill, they stripped Jesus and cast lots for his clothes. And then they stretched him out. The hands that healed others and the feet that brought hope forced into the position of death. The arms that had stretched as a gesture of embrace in all his teaching in Galilee, pointing from east to west, now nailed in position, dripping with blood. The thud and clang of the hammer on the nails still rings in my ears. They hoisted him and insulted him. They chanted with a smug grin, let him come down from the cross and we'll believe in him. He trusts in God, let God rescue him now if he wants him. But still, Jesus did not fight back. Instead, Somehow filled with compassion, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Can forgiveness even be possible for such an act? Jesus still seemed to think so. 
The Jewish leaders kept yelling to one another, surely he can save others, but he can't save himself. Oh, at that point, I wish Jesus would do it, but he didn't. Somehow he allowed himself to hang. I don't understand. Why did he allow himself to die? He spoke of his death, but I never understood. Even in this moment, I don't understand. We were standing close enough to hear his gasps and pain, but he still looked at us. He looked at his mum and he looked at John and he said, woman, here is your son. And to John, here is your mother. Even in enduring the most horrific of agonies, we could see that Jesus is still the one who truly cares for us. He had been hanging for six hours. Even though it was the middle of the day, the sky went black. A gloomy, deathly, divine silence had fallen on the land. He then cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. I knew those words of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus then said, Father, into your hand I commit my spirit. He breathed his last and died. An earthquake rattled our bodies as if the very earth cried out in pain. And then silence. There Jesus was, crucified, with arms stretched wide. The one I love and follow, the one who first saw me and freed me, is now broken and mutated, mocked and despised, fallen to the powers of this world, a victim of the power of Roman tyranny and victim of the Jewish leader's corruption. The whole time I've known Jesus, he was the hero. I've seen him as a teacher and a healer and a long-awaited king. I saw him as the one who calls dead people from their graves and speaks forgiveness over sinners. But now he's dead. Today was torment. Today was an excruciating death. I see him, but I see him through tears. He is still my Lord, but now he's dead. It would have been an absolutely agonizing day for Jesus and for those that watched him, for those who loved him, for those who thought he was the king. Now in that moment, what Mary could not have known in her confusion, in her distress, she could not have known that a great exchange was taking place on that cross. Amongst the tears and amongst the confusion, she did not know that Jesus was willingly giving his life, was willingly dying. Now, for us as Christians, when we talk about the cross, it kind of just rolls off our tongue. It's like a normal thing we talk about. Now, we know it's central to Jesus' mission, something about bringing good news. Back 2,000 years ago, it was, it was a horrible, horrific moment, one that was so hard for them to understand what Jesus was doing. When Mary heard the cries, release Barabbas and crucify Jesus, crucify him, crucify him. What she didn't know was that Barabbas was representing, in a sense, all of humanity. Barabbas was representing her. Barabbas was representing me. Barabbas was representing all of us. See, he was the one who deserved death, but Jesus exchanged himself and took his place. We are the ones that deserve death, but Jesus has taken our place. He is the one who took on the wrath of God, who took on our sin and our shame and our rebellion. Jesus came to live the life that we couldn't live, and he died the death that we deserve to die. And he brought us the forgiveness that we could never earn. And he did it willingly on the cross. When we look at Jesus on the cross like Mary did, we need to see that it was our place that Jesus took. He did it 
for us. But what we also need to know and need to see is that Jesus was under no compulsion to be there. Jesus didn't have to go to the cross. He chose to go to the cross. For us to be saved, we have no right. There is no right for us to be saved and brought back into the family of God. As much as we don't want to hear it, in ourselves we are not necessarily lovable. It wasn't like we've done some things, we've achieved some stuff, we've become some sort of people, we became lovable and then Jesus came. The only reason God loves us is because of God. God is love. God loves us. That is why Jesus came. We are people that are made in his image. We'd corrupted it and God chose to do something about it. That is why Jesus went to the cross. We are not worthy so we are saved. We are saved and therefore we are worthy. So friends, we need to look at the cross like Mary did seeing Jesus hanging there, but to know that he took our place. And he took our place because he deeply, deeply loves us. And that's Friday. An exchange, but that's not the end of the story. Mary then experiences Saturday. It's difficult to write today. I'm not sure what to say. Really, there is not much to say. Jesus lies dead in his grave. I keep smelling my hands with the spices we had prepared for him. I've tried to wash them, but the aroma still fills the room. The aroma of devotion to him, but the aroma of his death, his absence. Tears have flowed down my face on and off all day. I still can't make sense of yesterday. I go over the events, but nothing becomes clear. I feel incomplete. Am I supposed to have hope in this dreadful hour? Only strange references from Jesus' teaching about him dying and rising fill my mind. What are we meant to do now? What am I meant to do now? Yesterday after his death, we went to the tomb. Joseph from Arimathea and Nicodemus had asked Pilate for Jesus' body. What courage amongst great fear that would have been. Against the odds and danger, they were both there, wrapping Jesus' limp body in linen. They clearly loved Jesus. Joseph gave him his own tomb. I didn't hear them speak. Perhaps they didn't have to. I sat with Mary as we watched them. The only sounds were the folding of linen and sprinkling of spices, then big heaves as they rolled the stone in front. They left. Mary and I stayed. I can't remember for how long. It didn't matter. Jesus lay behind that stone, meters away, but it felt like an eternal distance, divided and separated. No one crossed back from death to life, only Lazarus, but that was at the word of Jesus. And now the word of Jesus is silent. It's the Sabbath today, a day to stop and rest. As I ponder his life, I remember all the people he brought healing and life to. Jesus was the one who brought to life Jairus' daughter, to the widow of Nain's son, and Mary and Martha's brother. But Jesus is now lying dead himself. I saw Jesus call dead people out of the graves, but now he's been laid in a grave. I saw Jesus who ordered that the stone over Lazarus to be rolled away, now having a stone rolled over his own tomb. I saw Jesus, the one who claimed to Martha that he was the resurrection and the life, now lying dead and cold. But yet he is still my Lord. What will I do tomorrow? I do not know. 
I will go to the tomb in the morning, but is there any hope? The candlelight is fading. My tears have smudged the page anyway. I wish to forget this day. A day of silence that would have been extremely deafening. Now, as us Christians, we sit here 2,000 years beyond the fact, and we know that Sunday is coming. But in this moment, sit in Saturday. Sit in Saturday with Mary, in the darkness, in the unknown. I imagine there's times in your life where God feels very far away. The question is not, does God feel far away? It's that when does God feel far away for you? Can you recall those times? Are there days or there seasons when it feels like, God, what on earth are you doing? I don't understand. I don't feel your presence. I don't know what you are doing. God, you are silent. Mary and every disciple on that Saturday would have been feeling very similar feelings. Feeling like Jesus was very far away, that God was absent. Now that Saturday is unique in all Saturdays because Jesus had not stopped working. Jesus was fighting and winning the battle against sin and death. He descended into the darkness, into death to defeat evil and to conquer sin. God was doing a work through Christ that was far beyond what the disciples, what Mary could have understood at the time. He descended into the darkness of death. He allowed it to capture him. And yet he came out and he's going to conquer it. Jesus was doing a work, even though he felt incredibly absent. In Mary's experience, in her feeling in that moment, what she thought was going on was that Jesus was far away. But in actual reality, Jesus was doing an incredible work, far beyond what she could see or understand. Friends, in our life, when God feels far away, when he feels like he's absent, he hasn't stopped working. The presence of silence never means the absence of God. We know that God is working all things for the good of those who love him. In the Easter moment, it's salvation. It's relationship back with God, back with one another, meaning, forgiveness, hope, life. That's the work he was doing. In our time, he continues to do that, make that possible. But also in our life, in the silence, in the unknown, God might be doing something to bolster our faith, to grow our faith. It might be in a season of suffering because when God's at work in his people, suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. It might be he might be removing some kind of experience of his presence so that we see the sin in our life and we see how dirty and ugly and disgusting it is and we'll turn to him and find life. It might be that we're experiencing some of the darkness and the brokenness and the horribleness of this world so that we turn to God. And we find our hope and our security and our meaning and forgiveness in him. Whatever the case, God might feel far away, but he is always at work. He is never absent and he is always good. And then after the darkness of Saturday comes the dawn of Sunday. And so we pick up Mary's journal again. Again, my hands are shaking, but it's not pain and loss. I'm full of hope and joy, yet somehow I'm still shocked and bewildered. 
This morning, while it was still dark, Mary and I and some of the other women had gathered the spices we prepared and went for Jesus' tomb. We wondered who could roll away the stone. But as we approached, an earthquake shook and an angel descended on the tomb. He rolled back the stone. As we peered in, his appearance was like lightning. He was frightening to look at. And he said, don't be afraid. (laughs) But I'd never been more afraid in my life. But where was Jesus? I didn't know what happened to his body. Where did they put him? What the angel said was a blur to me. We ran back and told Peter and John, and they ran for the tomb. They told me later that they saw the linen folded in two pieces, all neat, but they didn't see Jesus. I returned and I stood in the garden. I was full of fear, hoping and praying, but not really knowing what to pray. Tears flowed down my face, but I looked in the tomb again. Now the angels were sitting calmly where Jesus' body had laid, and they asked me, woman, why are you crying? I thought, wasn't it obvious? But I said, they've taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they've put him. At that moment, I turned and I looked out into the garden. There I saw someone. I thought it was the gardener. He said calmly and tenderly, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? I replied, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Then I heard the word that changed my life for a second time, Mary. At that very moment, I knew it was Jesus. He called my name and it was like scales fell from my eyes. At my name, I was brought to life. I fell at his feet and cried out, Rabboni, he is my teacher, he is my Lord. I could have held him forever, but he said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. I couldn't hold him because he had a mission for me, and he had other work to do. So I ran. I ran as fast as I could. It was a mix of fear, bewilderment, and joy, but I ran. I found the disciples. I have seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord. He is risen from the grave. I still can't believe it. He's alive, resurrected from the dead, and he chose me, me, to be his first witness. A woman, a reformed mental patient who's been possessed by demons. I got to run with the first news that I'd seen the Lord. But more than see him, he'd come to me, called my name, and he sent me. I know with every fiber in my body, mind, and soul that Jesus is the Lord and Savior of the world. He is the Son of God, given to us. Now his words to Martha made sense. Jesus was the resurrection and the life. He is not a dead saviour. He is a risen saviour and he knows me. Soon the world will know him too. Today was a day like no other. Literally the first day of a new life. Jesus has risen from the dead. From tears of fear to tears of joy. My world and this world will never be the same. And so it hasn't been the same since. What a glorious moment that would have been for Mary, seeing him, witnessing him in the garden, holding him. And I think this picture here, and uh, especially the picture that's painted in John chapter 20, is this beautiful image, one that's obviously deeply emotional, but also one that paints some of the really vivid pictures and elements that is central to the gospel. So we're going to look at this story of Mary as as, um, it's told in John chapter 20, And I'll pull out three particular elements that point to uh, significant elements of the gospel about their beauty, goodness, and their truth. 
Now, the first one is that in Mary's interaction and seeing the risen Jesus, is it points to the fact that Jesus' resurrection is believable. Now, that might sound a little bit strange, but it is believable because the fact that women were one of the first witnesses to the resurrection. And it's something that's actually incredibly helpful for us as 21st century believers because it's exactly the opposite of what the first century believers um, and people would have expected to happen. Historian named Richard Borkham, he writes this, speaking of the time. Women were thought by educated men to be gullible in religious matters and especially prone to superstitious fantasy and excessive religious practices. It's a pretty, pretty dark image, right? And that's captured, sadly, really well with this guy named Celsus. He's a second century Greek philosopher, and he's writing to debunk Christianity. And this is one of the things he says. Um, he actually takes particular aim at Mary Magdalene. After death, apparently Jesus rose again and showed the marks of his punishment, and how his hands had been pierced. But who saw this? A hysterical female, as you say, and perhaps some other of those who were deluded by the same sorcery. End quote. If the gospel writers were going to make up Jesus' resurrection, there is no way they would have put Mary in the story. They would not have made this up because it would have no way have helped their cause. But they knew that God's wisdom was far greater than their own. And so inspired by the Spirit, they wrote what happened. Mary's presence at the resurrection and the fact that she is told to be one of the first witnesses points to the fact that Jesus' resurrection is believable because that is the shoe that fits. That's the only explanation that would make sense. There's heaps of other evidences for his resurrection. You can go, you can find them, I can point you towards them. But Mary's presence is certainly one of them. And then this brings us to, to the second reason. Uh, this one is far more warming and, and heartfelt. But it's that Jesus' resurrection and interaction with Mary points to Jesus as being a personal saviour. And a personal saviour who transforms us. The beauty is that when Jesus comes, Mary cannot see him initially because Mary is looking for a different Jesus. She's looking for a dead Jesus. The kind of Jesus that appears to, him, appears to her is beyond her categories. She cannot comprehend. But Jesus comes to her and cries out, calls out, Mary. And in that moment, in that moment, she's transformed. In that moment, she sees Jesus is her personal Lord and Savior. She cries out, teacher, and goes on to proclaim him as the Lord. Her tears of fear are turned to tears of joy, still shocked. But Jesus is the personal Savior for her and becomes a personal Savior for all people in the world. Jesus is not a far-off, aloof God who stays in the clouds. No, he comes. He clothed himself in the humanity, became like us, and then died on the cross and reveals himself to us. See, the one who sits on the throne, the one who has all power, all authority, all grandeur, still chooses to know you, still chooses to meet with his people through his spirit. When Jesus calls Mary by name, shows us that he is a personal saviour who transforms. And the calling of Mary's name also brings us to the third element, the third element that Jesus saves, he calls, and he sends by his grace. 
Do you notice the order of when Mary was called by her name and then how she responds? Jesus calls to her first, and then she sees Jesus. Jesus had to come to her first. She was, in a sense, blind. And all of us are spiritually blind until Jesus comes to us, until the Spirit reveals himself. Unless we're called, unless Jesus comes, we are blind. He has to act first. And friends, Jesus perhaps has already called your name and you've responded with repentance and faith and praise the Lord for that. But if not, Jesus, he is calling your name. He came because he wants relationship with you. He desires you to come home to him. It may be through the scriptures, it may be through the spirit, it may be through other people, God's people that he's calling you back to himself, but he is. But we still need to respond like Mary, who hear the call and then fall at his feet. And we hear later in, in God's word to respond in repentance and faith and then pick up our cross and follow him. And for Mary in that moment, we also see the grace in God, in Jesus sending her. Because Mary is the very first person, the very first person who is sent but she's the exact opposite of the kind of person that you think would be the one to announce the Son of God has risen again. The Son of God is risen again, and he chooses a reformed mental patient, someone who is socially despised. But he calls to her and says, you will be my first witness. What a beautiful image and picture of his grace. It struck me in going through it uh, this week that Uh, Peter and John, they go to the tomb just before Mary in the verses before. But for some reason, Jesus chooses not in that moment to reveal himself to them. He holds it for Mary to be first. If you think that you're unworthy, you think that uh, you're weak or in some way despised, the picture of Mary shows that Jesus comes for people like you. Jesus comes for every kind of person. No one is left out. He comes for all. But it's our choice whether we're going to follow his call and follow him as a disciple. In Mary's interaction, we see that the resurrected Jesus is believable. We see that he's a personal savior who transforms. And we see he sends and he calls by his grace. That is the Lord Jesus that we have. And so friends, if we want to know Jesus, we want to persevere in him, we need to continue to look on him like Mary did. Jesus on the cross And Jesus risen again to look at him and then live. And friends, as you look as Mary did, do not get caught up in Mary. Get caught up in Jesus. And then worship him because he is so worthy. As we gaze on him crucified and resurrected, there is no other Lord. There is no other Savior. There is no greater love. There is no greater way. There is no other way. There is no way to meaning or hope, fulfillment, forgiveness, life. Is only found in Jesus. We need to look to him on the cross and risen again. So if you don't know him, look at Jesus on the cross and risen again and come to him. If you're caught in sin, look to Jesus on the cross and risen again. If you're feeling broken, if you're feeling oppressed, look to Jesus on the cross and risen again. If you're feeling lonely, or hopeless, or lost, look to Jesus on the cross and risen again. 
And if you're feeling like this world has everything to offer you, then look to Jesus on the cross and risen again. If you feel confident and self-assured, look to Jesus on the cross and risen again. Because it's in him that we find life, in him that we find meaning, in him that we find forgiveness. Whatever season or moment of life you're in now, whatever season or moment of life you're going to go into, keep looking to Jesus. Look to him and live. And it's there that we will fall into his presence. Our focus will come off ourselves and onto the only place that we find life. It's the only meaning that there can be. And then we'll be propelled to share his good news with the world. May God get all the glory. May our communities be blessed. And then may we get the joy. Let me pray for us. Father, you are an absolutely awesome God. You are full of love and compassion, and yet you are also full of justice. And we see those things collide on the cross. Father, please help us to gaze on Jesus on the cross, crucified for us, taking our place, defeating death and darkness, evil and sin, and rising in victory and then inviting us into that, and then inviting us into the greatest story that could ever be. Father, please help all those who don't know yet to see and hear your voice. Father, call people back to yourself by your spirit. And Father, for those of us that are in your family, continue to please propel us to your glory, the blessing of this world, and may we experience the joy. In Jesus' name, amen.